We're uh, looking at why church, and today we want to look at the subject, who should lead God's church? Who should lead God's church? He says in the word, obey your leaders, uh, Hebrews 13, 7, 17, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, uh, let your leaders should admonish you and whatever. He, he uses the language, and we're going to talk about uh, what are the kinds of people that God wants to lead his church. Leadership is a cry everywhere. We're going to the polls Tuesday, and uh, what kind of leadership will we get? What kind will we get? Uh, can we run a character profile on them? Uh, are they honest people? Are they uh, uh, people you can recommend? Uh, you know, you can have great skill and not have character. You can be a wonderful CPA that's a crook. Someone has said figures don't lie, but liars know how to figure. So, uh, you know, people with character. It's one thing to have skill. It's another thing to have character. And uh, uh, before I do that, uh, this church uh, has 18 deacons serving at this time. We presently have five elders. And uh, on the first service, I did a roll call. Some were there, so they may not be in this service, not even counting all of our staff. Uh, let me uh, do a roll call, and if you're here, we just stand so the people uh, can recognize who you are. Uh, Randy Oste, uh, uh, Chuck Lottie-Bordiere, Edwin Chandra, Ernie Sanchez, Grant Pinkston, Jason Webster, Jeff Joya, John Smith, Julio Leto, Larry Howard, Nick Orozco, Otis Wiley, uh, myself, Ray Molinar, Renato Segato, Richard Armstrong, Robert Linway, Ron Hughes, Steve Zine, Tim Baustrom, Tim McNeil, Tom White, Wayne Moore. Are they standing with us? Some of them in the other service. So there's 23 different men that serve either in the post of deacon or service of elders. Uh, we are blessed. We've had more, we've had less, but we are blessed. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, I want to look at three things today about leadership. There's so much to be said. Um, I want to look at the character of those that should lead. Two, their competence. What skills do they bring that we need? And the third thing is uh, the concern that they have care, a divine given care for the people of God. Uh, I just think about leadership. I read this. Real leaders are in short supply on any level, any organization. 
government, <clears throat> PTA, whatever. But when you come to God's church, now in the early church, leadership was a little less challenging because they were house churches, okay? To lead a house church of 40 people is a little bit different than leading a congregation of 1,000 people, including our children. A little bit different? How are you folks doing leading your home? And you've only got what? There's four of you, five of you, and, and some of you have chaos on that level. <laughs> and so then let's just keep multiplying it. Let's keep getting bigger. So every opinion, every viewpoint, every need. So it, it gets much more challenging. Uh, but I was just thinking most people uh, that emerge into leadership didn't go looking for the job. David wasn't looking to be the next king of Israel. He didn't go looking for the job. God came looking for him. Um, let's see. Let's go on through. You know what? Solomon was born to it, so he got it. But uh, you go, even Saul. Saul wasn't looking. Uh, he's hiding out among the baggage. He was scared to death. He said, I only take care of donkeys for my dad. He was out collecting stray donkeys when he was looked up by Samuel and said, no, you're going to be the king. Uh, Paul wasn't looking. Paul was, his ambition was to kill Christians. And God said, I want to make you an evangelist, an apostle to the nations. Uh, listen to what uh, A.W. Tozer said about men in the church. Usually their ambition is not to lead. They just want to serve. They just want to do something to help but they emerge into leadership, which let's make leadership real simple. It's not a title. It's not any of that. It's having influence for God. Influence for God. Uh, listen to what Tozer said. A true and a safe leader is likely to be one who has no desire to lead and is forced into a position by the inward leading of the Holy Spirit and the press of circumstances. Isaiah went to church to worship, as it were, and the Lord said, who will go for us? And he said, here am I. He didn't go there to run for the office of being the leading prophet and talking about the Assyrian invasion and about Babylon. He didn't go looking for it. Jeremiah said, why did you call me? I'm but a child. Jeremiah 1, 5. I'm not looking for it. Leave me alone. <laughs> but what about Moses? What was he doing? He's taking care of a bunch of sheep out in the desert. You would think that would be immunity from service. You better watch out for the bushes you hang around. Because <laughs> there's liable to be an I am in it. And Moses got to praying. Why don't you set God's people free? And God said, I've got an answer. I'm going to use you. Oh, no. I said, you set him free. He said, I'm going to do it through you. And that he wasn't looking for that job. You see, true leadership or God called, God appointed, God directed. So there was hardly a great leader from Paul to the present day, but was drafted by the Holy Spirit for the task. 
and commissioned by the Lord to fill a position he had little heart for. The man who is ambitious to lead is disqualified. Jeremiah told Barak, Seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. The man who is ambitious to and, and has no desire to lord it over God's heritage. The true leader has no desire to be over people, but will be humble, gentle, self-sacrificing, and altogether ready to follow when the Spirit chooses another to lead. Uh, William Banks, who wrote a terrific book on preaching, was a profound voice in Methodism in England. He writes this in his biography. This is the will of God for me. I did not choose it. I sought to escape it, but it has come. Something else has come too, a sense of certainty that God does not want me only for a preacher. He wants me also for a leader. I feel a commissioning to work under God for the revival of this branch of his church, Methodist Church. Careless of my own reputation, indifferent to the comments of older and jealous men, I am 36. If I am to serve God in this way, I must no longer shrink from the task, but do it. I've examined my heart for ambition. I'm certain it is not there. I hate the criticism I shall evoke and the painful chatter of people. Obscurity, quiet browsing among books. Books are sort of harmless. And the service of simple people is my taste. But by the will of God, this is my task. God help me. Bewildered and unbelieving, I hear the voice of God say to me, I want to sound the note through you. Oh God, did ever an apostle shrink from his task more? I dare not say no, but like Jonah, I would fain run away. St. Francis of Assisi was being asked what time, why do people listen to you? Why do people follow you? And he, he responded, You want to know? It is because the eyes of the Most High have willed it so. He continually watches the good and the wicked. And as his most holy eyes have not found among sinners any smaller man nor any more insufficient and sinful, therefore he has chosen me to accomplish the marvelous work which God hath undertaken. He chose me because he could find none more worthless, and he wished to confound the nobility and the grandeur, the strength, the beauty, and the learning of this world. That's why I'm in his service. Who will lead God's people? Who should lead God's people? Well, let's start with the character search. When we go looking for a candidate, do we look for one with charisma or for someone with character? Uh, it'd be real nice if you can get both. I don't know why so many of us have to be so uh, boring. And he said, well, only God have them. Anybody that boring, God would have had to do the choosing. 
You know, can't you have both? Could you smile? Could you be, could you like people? Could you be people attractive? And I mean, I like that even if you're a pagan. What about in the church? I just look for warm people. I look, when I look for a leader, I look for a guy. He seems like he likes folks. He seems to like what he's doing. He said, move over, I'm God's man. I'm miserable about it, but I'll do it. No, no. But you got to start with character. And you hope in the character he might like people. It's a bonus. But let's look at Exodus. Let's see what happened in the character search. Jethro tells Moses, you're doing too much. You need help. And he told him he needed to get some men to help him. And in verse 21 of Exodus 18, he says, Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and of tens. So they had a character profile. Able. They were able to judge, make sound decisions. There are men who fear God. And there are men that you can trust. And you can't pay them under the table to lie and corrupt justice. Look, if you will, in the early church, when the widows were being neglected and the apostles were being tempted to always settle widow spats and take them away from prayer and the word and their priority. They said, these widows need to be cared for. We need to get help. And so in verse 3 of chapter 6, Acts, he says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, good reputation. That, that means they were known. Full of the Spirit. How would you know if they were full of the Spirit? Fruit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, goodness, self-control, faith, and I'm forgetting one, but long-suffering, I believe. That's the one I'm the weakest on. So I try to forget it. Uh, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. They're known for being wise men. How would you know a wise man? Well, he makes wise decisions. Where did he learn to make wise decisions? He made a lot of wrong ones. He's learned life, and the Spirit has taught him to be wise. Uh, and they're men of good repute, Spirit-filled, wise, appoint them to this duty. And so if we went on a search in this church, we want you, you are known for being a man full of the Spirit. You're known as a wise man, not a wise acre. Not a smart aleck, but a wise man. Does God have any in this place? Okay. Men of good repute. So there was a brief character profile. Now let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, the saying is trustworthy. 
If anyone aspires to the office or the function of an overseer, our word bishop, because of different church governments, the word gets messed up, but it's one who oversees or superintends. The office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, remember, in the early church, they were house churches, so I'm assuming uh, 25 to 50 people, maybe, uh, whatever that house could hold. Uh, they were the first that were martyred. It was unusual if they were paid. They were told to be paid, but it, it wasn't much. And it was unusual if they did get paid. Oftentimes, they were tent makers. They, were, they had another job, bivocational. And so they, they, they loved a noble task, and they were willing to do it. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. That is, nothing can be said about them that can be proven that they are, you know, anyone can be accused, anyone could be perceived as imperfect, but they're, they're above board in their dealings with other people and in their they're known. Uh, they're above overall reproach. Nothing, you know, they're not getting ready to be served a warrant for being a crook. Uh, they have proven character. It goes on to say, they must be the husband of one wife. Uh, some, there's about four or five major views. One says they shouldn't be a polygamist, and uh, I'm all for that. Uh, and I can only afford one. But anyway, he says, we don't want that. Two, some say it's a demand they be married. Can a single man pastor? Probably, I think so, biblically. Uh, uh, John Stott in London has pastored for years. Outstanding ministries now with the Lord, but uh, never married. Was a pastor all of his life. But if they, the, the big emphasis is not if they have to be married, but if they are married, they're caught up with one woman. One woman. Uh, some say a divorced man could never uh, serve in the church. And uh, the view is if you've ever been divorced, uh, you're disqualified from serving. Now, there's difficulties with that view. But there's men uh, that take it. Charles Rivey and different ones that say, no matter what you did when you were unsaved, the unsaved years count too because you still got the reputation. So they just say, you, you're eliminated from ever officially serving in the church. We understand it, uh, looking at it. There's a, a present tense. They must be, a, a present infinitive in the Greek that says, they must be in this state at the time they're considered by the church. They must have proven in the eyes of the congregation that they have become a one-woman kind of man. That is, eyes for only one woman. That's their wife. They're, they're known as being non-flirtatious. I would say known for being safe with women that uh, there's no misbehavior, no, uh, they must be a one woman, eyes for one kind of man. So we understand a man could have been divorced, a man could have done a lot, because to be a, 
uh, Gentile pastor, if you were at Corinth, if you were at Ephesus, you grew up as a pagan at the temple, which immorality was a part of the religion. Uh, promiscuity was a way of life. I mean, they often uh, went naked. They sure ran naked in the Olympics. They thought nothing of uh, moral boundaries. Uh, it was a pagan, pagan culture. So for a man to come to Christ was to gain morals, was to gain, to get rid of his mistress because the, the, the way they did it, you married for children because you didn't want your children to be illegitimate, but you had a mistress for fun. That was a part of the culture. It was a part of Rome. It was a part of Greece. So immoral, immoral, immoral. To get a man to ever come to be known as, I'm a one-woman kind of man. That was unique and set apart. And he said, he must come to be that kind of a man. A one-woman kind of man. He must be sober-minded, not intoxicated by wine, drugs, or unsound thinking. Self-control. Uh, respectable. I like that word respectable. It's from the word for cosmetics. He must be put together right. He mustn't, he mustn't look like he fell off a dump truck. Uh, he, he ought to be put together right. Uh, I, I think the way he runs it, uh, does he ever cut his lawn? If you don't, at least hire somebody to do it. Uh, I mean, I, some people, I wouldn't want anyone to know he claims anything. I mean, are you a respectable kind of man? Do you take care of yourself? Do you carry yourself respectfully? And or people say, this is my pastor. And say, would you come in the back door? I don't want anyone to see you in the front door. No, no, no. You got to be a man of dignity. Whatever. I know it looks different in all of us. Please, no comments. Uh, hospitable. He must love strangers. That was a requirement in the early church. Today, we have to say he must be willing to take you to Denny's. See, in the early church, a motel was a brothel. So when Christians were fleeing or when they were moving into an area, they needed housing. And if the bishop, if the leaders of it, if you didn't house them, they could be in unsafe places. And so you brought in strangers, uh, probably saints fleeing for their life. But your home was a part of loving of strangers. So he said, they need to be able to teach, uh, handle the Word of God. He said, study to show yourself an approved workman, 2 Timothy 2.15, rightly handling the Word of God. You cannot have biblical dummies leading the church. Because you've got to have them smart enough, according to Titus 1, that they can refute gainsayers, Judaizers, people trying to put us under law and corrupting us with demonic doctrines. You must be biblically, theologically astute to stand up against the errors of that day and the errors of our day, which are many times demonic doctrines. So you cannot be putting dummies 
in the office of overseers of churches. And if any man's too lazy to know the word, please don't promote him to be over the people of God. Because I don't want uh, you to be under the authority. You know, when we started this church, we had congregational meetings, and we were ruled by Robert's rules and orders. And we went on that for about a couple years, and then finally said to the board, I'm tired of Robert. I don't even know him. I said, I'm under the New Testament. And don't make any more legislation for me. Legislate all you want. You do it. I got the New Covenant. It's taken all of me to keep the New Testament. Are we doing that? That's enough legislation, and that came right from the hand and court of heaven. God, Jesus doesn't measure us by Robert's rules and order. He measures us by the New Testament. Are you doing what I told you? Are you running it that way? Well, put up with my tangents. Uh, not a drunkard. Uh, he really said, not one who tarries by the wine law. They were drinkers of wine. He told Timothy to take wine in chapter 5 because of his stomach ailments. Remember, they did not, did not grow up with water treatment plants. And amoebic dysentery was very common. Wine with a little alcohol was helpful for their health. So he tells them to do that, but not to be drunks. Uh, he, he must be one that uh, uh, is not quarrelsome, he's gentle, he's not violent, pugnacious, uh, not a lover of money. Uh, I love what Joe Lewis said. He said, I don't love money, but it sure does soothe my nerves. Uh, it, it, does, it is nice to be able to pay the rent. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if somebody does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's children? You know, I can't imagine an overseer of the church boxing his children around at the grocery store. Or that the children come to dinner when he says, Idiot, come to dinner. Dummy. You, you just can't imagine demeaning a child like that or out of control that you, you never correct your children unless you're mad. That's why child discipline has such a bad name. It usually infers the parent is angry. Box. Duh, duh. Uh -uh. That's not a biblical approach. Biblical approach is you teach, you train. Now, you don't get angry. And that this man, you watch the home life of a leader to see how they would handle people in the church. The way they handle their children is the way they're going to handle you. And uh, now, here's something I grew up on. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. Did anyone ever grow up on that? So if your kids didn't turn out right, you didn't raise them right, right? Don't feel bad. Oh, yeah, you meant to feel bad. Because the idea was they're not bad by nature. They're bad as a result of your nurture. You didn't raise them right. The Bible said God had pity on the mother who gave birth to a fool. That's called nature. 
They were a fool from the womb. Home had nothing to do with it. Cain turned out the way he did, not because of his home life, but he was born a rebel. But we beat up parents bad because we always kept them guilty. You obviously don't know how to raise children, and I've had enough of that said to me. It's something when you raise your own kids in a church and go through their struggles. But he says, how do they manage it? My brother David one day came to the office. He'd been hearing Dave Jeremiah expound this verse, and Jeremiah gave the uh, interpretation, which I think is sound, that the issue is something well-managed is not something without problems. But the way you handle the problem, we hire managers not because everything's going smooth, but because we need a troubleshooter to resolve conflict, to resolve issues. So in this home, this leader may not have a problem-free home, may not have a home without issues to deal with. Watch how they deal with them. You'll probably learn more about their style and their motive. The way they handle their children would be their finest or their worst hour. What do you do with a troubled child? Ah, let's watch. You know, a compliant child, an easy child, all like that. Oh, we always say, oh, they know what they're doing. Have any of you, have any of you mothers ever given birth to more, more than one child? And you said, where in the world did the second one come from? Because they're not dittos. Some would drive you up the wall and you hope nobody meets them. Not until they're 40. And the other is just so compliant. So, just, that's just, and, and, and then you would say, well, you see, I'm headed to be a pastor. Here's this kid. Meet them. And you've raised them on Benadryl and Valium. <laughs> and, and everybody thinks they're just well being. No, no. What, what about a a hard child. Well, they don't know what they're doing. No, you've never had any children. You don't know what you're talking about. They don't all act the same. My dad had good kids, and he about half killed the older ones. I feared and trembled. So I was a sweet, compliant child because I'd seen the other get it. And I thank God spared my life, many of whipping. But I think this is an area we have shot down many. You would be amazed at how many pastors have left the pastorate and younger men in seminary don't want to go into it because they're afraid, what if I raise kids and they give fits? Will I lose my job? How many of you will lose your job if your boy is mean? How many even care what your kids act like? And all of a sudden, we got a guy that says, hey, you can't take care of a little flock of people unless your own home can be examined. Because the way you manage will show whether you can care for the church of God. We ought to be praying for the, the mats and the, the mannies and the younger men and women in this church raising their kids. We don't need your criticism. We need your intercession. They need to be encouraged. Stay with it. 
Stay with it. Only God can save your children. Only God can change them. Yeah, yeah, huh? Yeah, you're real weak about that. It's true. And don't be beating up people having dr troubled children. And don't beat up pastors that have a troubled church. I was with a pastor this morning who had lived through hell in this church. It's a wonder he's still standing, but he is. Now, that means he's a bad pastor. No, no, no. He's got some bad folks in the church making him miserable. I want you to think through this through because some of you have never led anything. You can't even lead a pup. Try to lead a person. Leadership is influencing people to go a direction, and everybody has an opinion why they don't want to go that way. Who gets them there? Who gets the sheep to a destination? God appointed leaders through thick and thin. Well, he goes on. This is too convicting. Uh, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. That's scary. He must be well thought of by bill collectors. I mean, outsiders. That's a big one so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Uh, anyone that emerges in the church must be respected in the community, at least that they're honest, that uh, they're not known for being uh, misbehaving towards women, handling of money, influence. They, they're just, you could recommend them. Well, he says this with Titus. It's a list of 21 characteristics. Gene Getz says it's the measure of maturity that every man in the church, this is the measurement of your maturity. If you're not going in this direction and becoming this kind of man, you're immature. It's character. Character. It's the first thing we must look at. Second thing is what competence must he have? What skills does he need to have? Well, uh, let me just listen for, for the sake of time. I'll just give them. He must be able to teach, it said of the elder. He must be an able teacher. He has to know the Word of God to teach it. He must know it good enough. He can debate and refute false teaching. So he must know the Word. This is, uh, that's the impact. The sheep need the Word. Uh, the flock needs to be protected. According to 1 Timothy 5, 17, they must manage well the church, management, and then they must preach the word. Can you proclaim the word uh, with authority? Uh, so are you able to teach it? Do you know this? This is the authority Christ has given over his church, those who teach the word. Say, I have no authority over this congregation unless you're willing to submit to the word. See, if you submit to the word, you know God appoints men to teach the word, tell you what it says. Otherwise, I have no authority over anyone. I'm just a brother, just a sheep, just like you. But when the word's proclaimed, that's the authority. Uh, along with competence, I think you would put it more with character.
Paul says, and Hebrews says, he must be a man worth following. Obey your leaders, he says. Imitate their faith. Hebrews 13, 7. Imitate their faith. 1 Corinthians 11, 1. Follow me as I follow Christ. 1 Peter 5, 2. They must prove to be examples to the flock, not lords over the flock. Examples of prayer. Example of purity. Example of sweet reasonableness. Examples. It is weighty, weighty, weighty. Maybe an example for how to treat a wife, raise children, how to control their temper. Oh, my, my, my. That's enough. That's enough to bury me. How would you like to be an example to 800 adults? And they all got their standards, believe me. You better, you better. I say, I'm just trying to please Jesus. I'll be a slave to you. I can't march to that. It's too high. Jesus, I want, this is the standard. Because someone says, I like this, I don't like that. So what? We all got likes and dislikes, right? Does that mean they are breathed out in the infallible Word of God? Some of you like vanilla. I like chocolate. Well, who's more spiritual? And so in a church, if the authority of the Word and the authority of Christ is not our marching orders, we will get ourselves in trouble. We'll split over a thousand other issues. You've got to cling to that. So our competence has to be, do we have leaders that are competent to teach the word, defend the faith, and provide a godly, not an infallible, but a godly model to the church? I would like to just say finally, we have to have men who care for the church. Uh, look at Ezekiel. I was just haunted as I read this this morning. God said in Ezekiel 34, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food all, for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Then he says, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord, God shall 
Surely, surely because my sheep have become a prey, my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. And he goes on in verse 11, I'm going to send a shepherd that will seek them out. I'm going to send a shepherd that will feed them, will lay down his life for them. He prophesies of a coming Messiah's shepherd that will, but you false teachers of Israel, you have neglected Israel, but the two shepherds coming. And he says, I will lay down my life for my sheep. I am not a hireling. I will not flee when the wolf comes. I will protect them. I think of Peter in his failing and fumbling. Jesus says to him in John 21, I want to ask you, Peter, you utter failure up to now. Do you love me? Why, sure I do, Lord. If you love me, the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, take care of my sheep. Take care of my lambs. I know a lot of men, they don't mind attending Valley, but they don't know if they'd ever want to serve. The only thing would that ever make you want to, your service will be no greater than your love for Jesus. He's the only one that can talk you into it. Because there will be disappointments, there will be discouragements, there will be misunderstandings. Who cares for Jesus' church? And when he comes, he said in 1 Peter 5, he told the elders, take care of the flock, and when the chief shepherd shall return, he will give you a crown for taking care of his people. I often think of it's like uh, checking up on a babysitter. We had aunts, uncles, brothers, and sisters. We were blessed to have built-in babysitters. But I've seen those young couples without family surrounding them. It's a hunt to find babysitters. And you've got to pay them today. And all you parents, you young parents know. But, you know, the big issue is who can I trust my kids to? Can you imagine Jesus getting ready to go back to heaven? And he prays for his little flock, maybe 120 that make it to the upper room. And he said, who's going to take care of my church while I'm gone? Who wants to? As a whole, first century church, little pay, Lots of martyrs. We're fighting the Roman Empire. We don't have a chance in a thousand. Who? Who would aspire to take care of my church? Who should lead God's church? Men of character. Women who serve in other places all over this campus. Women lead too, you know. They lead different ministries. I've talked to you about elders. But the women, we wouldn't have had Wednesday night, all that, without some godly sisters like an Andrea and Sandy. We wouldn't have our women's Bible studies without a Pam and a Susie. Other women teach studies. 
I just uh, say we need leaders. We always will. Who will say, here am I? Uh, you got to be a person Jesus has produced character in. And then you got to be someone that Jesus interviews you. Do you love me enough that if I ask you to take care of a little band of believers, could you do it? Would you do it for me? But remember, sheep get dirty. Sheep are stubborn. They're blind. Uh, they're prone to stray. Uh, they're, they, they're strained. They're uh, predatorial. They're food for the predators, I mean. They're, uh, they're, they're helpless. Uh, they'll wear you out. They're, they just seem like their needs are unending. And uh, is it worth even putting up with them? And he says, uh, I will burden men and I will give them to my church. Somebody's got to take care of my wayward, stumbling, sick, discouraged, distressed, and at times feel helpless people. And I'm going to give my church such men that I burden to take care of them. I never aspired to be a pastor. I wanted to be a college teacher. That's where Fran knew me. I'd rather teach college kids. That's what I wanted to do the rest of my life. I wanted to get a master's degree because I wanted to go back and teach college. I didn't want to start a church. I'm here because he wanted me here. I just didn't teach college kids. Give me a young mind at 18 that they're paying tuition and I get to give them an A or an F and I get to work the daylights out of them to change their thinking. That is a treat. That is a treat. I loved it. Couldn't get enough. But God said, go back where you were raised. And I knew of no Bible teaching ministries. Teach the Bible books. Teach the Bible books. That's all I wanted to do. I just want to teach. I don't want to be a pastor. I'm here by divine commission. And I'll leave by divine commission. I love, I love his word. I love the shepherd. And if he wants me to be your pastor, I've tried. I will face him someday, and he will evaluate me on what I did. Did you love him like I told you to? It will be an awesome day just for him and I. Amen. Him and I. Our Father, none of us will go without the day of talking to Jesus face to face, and he's going to ask each one of us, did you do what I appointed you to do? No matter what that gifting is, no matter what that assignment was, I don't care if it's a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, a helper, uh, this, or that, it doesn't matter. We each will have that moment before Jesus himself, the judge, who will look through all of our motives, all of our excuses, all of our history, and said, did you, uh, did you help me take care of my church? Did you help me? I gifted you. I called you. I want you. I needed you to do this. Tell me what you did with the talent I gave you. Oh, Lord Jesus, 
I think it's soon that we'll be seeing you face to face. I'm praying that you'll protect this nation as leaders will be voted in on Tuesday. Uh, protect us from crooks. Protect us from those that will steal public money, that will corrupt justice, that will sow discord, uh, that will keep dividing us. Give us wise, wise people, people of some character that would love the nation more than their ego and that would serve. Uh, a, it is a painful assignment to be in public office. I pray protect these candidates. Protect them from some madman that would shoot uh, them, anybody that would hurt them. May the right propositions go in and the wrong ones be voted down. I just pray, give us divine. Let us know you're protecting us because uh, sometimes in this state uh, we feel like, uh, can we change anything? All the liberal policies and when it comes to life and death and child's right to live, sometimes I feel helpless as a voter. Uh, but we do have a Lord. We do have a just God a holy God, a sovereign God that you will set up and take down men and women as it pleases you. So you are my comfort. You are my hope that you are sovereignly in charge. Guide us. Keep us. Oh, Lord, help us to go for the perishing in our neighborhood and not ignore them. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. God bless you.